Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 178. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you're busy. You're busy like I am. And here you are making time to listen to the podcast. And I appreciate that. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get lots of tips for your family history and genealogy research. That's what we do here is kind of comb through all the stuff that's going on out there in the world today, all the new records coming on board, all the new technologies, and the proven technologies that we need to be using. And we comb through all of those here and strive to bring you the best, the gems, the genealogy gems. Now here on Genealogy Gems, you hear from your DNA guide, Diane Southard, on a regular basis. She is really our go-to person for DNA. And one of her colleagues that she certainly is on the lecture circuit with is Cece Moore. And Cece is a busy lady herself. She's been working on Henry Louis Gates uh, television series, and she works with DNA companies and consulting and all kinds of things going on. And I had an opportunity to invite her on to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, which I also host. And we got to talking and we had so much to talk about. I'm finally becoming a little more educated on DNA, thanks to Diane. And so having an opportunity to talk to Cece, I just wanted to seize the moment. And so she agreed to stay and have an extended conversation for you right here on the Genealogy Gems podcast. So that interview is coming up a little bit later in the show. Also on the show today, our Genealogy Gems book club guru, Sunny Morton. She is going to be introducing us to our featured book for the second quarter. I've already read it. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's totally different than what we've already been reading. Uh, So far, we've read She Left Me the Gun and Orphan Train. Uh, This is a complete departure and in a very unique and wonderful way. It's a murder mystery of sorts, a genealogical murder mystery. And it's fantastic. So that is coming up. Sunny is going to be here to tell us all about it, how to get our hands on it, and just kind of whet your appetite for the interview with the wonderful author of this new book. So stay tuned because that is coming up. And let's see here. I've got some genealogy records to tell you about. There have been a lot of new records coming out, records being updated. In fact, we have gotten together here and uh, I've got Sunny working on corralling all of these gems for you every Friday. So if you follow the, the blog, and I hope you do at genealogygems.com, you'll always see on Friday morning that we have a blog post about the records that we're digging up for the week. So while we hear about, you know, my heritage and ancestry and find my past and some of the bigger companies and their record sets, um, oftentimes what we kind of miss in all of that hullabaloo are some of the smaller record sets that are out there and some that are kind of very uh, niche and very um, specific areas of research. But gosh, if they're the ones you need, they're the only ones that matter, right? So let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, I want to share some of the ones that we've been digging up lately. Uh, there's a Canadian Mennonite Photo Archive. Now, this is a new database. It's now online with over 80,000 images of Mennonite life from across Canada and dating back to the 1860s. And I know we've got lots of Canadian listeners and, of course, folks with Canadian ancestry. 
A press release came out that said that the archive is a project of the Mennonite Historical Society of Canada, and it includes Mennonite archival partners in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. And there's an online ordering system that allows you, the visitor, to order image copies for non-commercial use. So you can find the Mennonite Archival Image Database at mhsc, like Charlie, dot ca. And there are some Georgia newspapers coming along at the Digital Library of Georgia. They've launched an archive of North Georgia historical newspapers. And they say that the North Georgia Historical Newspaper Archives provides online access to six newspaper titles published in three North Georgia cities, Dalton, Gainesville, and Rome. And they span from 1850 to 1922. Uh, They consist of, you know, just those towns alone for that time frame. That's over 33,000 newspaper images. And the archive provides historical images that are both full text searchable and can be browsed by date. The site is compatible with uh, all the different current browsers out there, Internet Explorer, Firefox, Chrome, and the newspaper page images can be viewed without the use of plugins or additional software downloads. So this includes uh, the following North Georgia newspaper titles, the Gainesville News from 1902 to 1922, Georgia Cracker from Gainesville, 1894 to 1902, the North Georgia Citizen out of Dalton, 1868 to 1921, Rome Courier, 1850 to 1855, Rome Tri-Weekly Courier, 1860 to 1880, and the Rome Weekly Courier, 1860 to 1878. You can see that these time frames, this is a really critical time in history where obviously during the Civil War, um, there was destruction of records and that type of thing. And gosh, newspapers could hold just the thing that you're looking for. Um, so this is really a terrific collection. And again, you can find it at the Digital Library of Georgia. And uh, we have kind of a, a long URL address for it. It's at uh, the ngnewspapers.galileo.usg.edu. And there's a bunch of slashes and things. So we are going to have that direct link in the show notes for you. You know how to find the show notes, right? You head to genealogygems.com, hover your mouse over podcast in the menu, and select podcast episodes, navigate your way to episode 178, and you find all the notes on a nice handy web page right there for you for each episode. And we even have a downloadable version of the show notes as well. And of course, all of that is available to you when you're an app user. So check out your mobile app store that you use, and you'll find the Genealogy Gems app. Uh, There's also an Ohio Genealogy Index that's come out. This is the Western Reserve Historical Society in Cleveland, Ohio, that's created an online genealogy index to some of its most valuable and unique genealogical records, including original funeral home and Bible records. That would be amazing to find your own ancestors in there. Also in the index are Jewish marriages and death notices, an index of names and a significant African-American manuscript collection, a 1907 Cleveland voter registration index, a photo database of Cleveland military personnel from World War II and the Korean War, and a biographical sketch name index. So currently, there's about 320,000 records in this index, and more are being added on an ongoing basis. 
The Society primarily archives records relating to Cleveland and Northeast Ohio, and soon to be added are indexes to the 1870 mortality census for Ashtabula, Ohio, and indexes to several church record collections. So this is the Ohio Genealogy Index from the Western Reserve Historical Society, and you'll find it at wrhs.org. And again, that uh, entire link that takes you straight to the database will be in the show notes. Now, is there a lady in your family tree who may have served in the World War II Cadet Nursing Corps in the U.S.? Their card files are new on Fold 3, and they contain membership cards of women who joined. And according to Fold 3, the cards are organized by state, nursing school, and cadet name. So if you have any of those items, you're going to hopefully be able to find the person you're looking for. Some cards include the date of admission to the school, the date of admission to the core, and the date of graduation, or date of other reasons for termination from the school. So uh, this is a new collection, and it's over at Fold 3. Now, if you're seeking ancestors in Michigan, there are Michigan deaths coming online. Images of Michigan death certificates from 1921 through 1939 are now available for free, and that's at SeekingMichigan.org. The index for records from 1940 to 1942 will be made each year as privacy restrictions are lifted. Uh, 1940 images are going to be released in January of 2016. So if you're looking for those, that's the time frame. And they say that together with the records from 1897 through 1920 that have been made available at the site for years, this collection makes Seeking Michigan the one-stop destination for more than 2.6 million free publicly available 20th century death records for Michigan ancestors. And I know we have a lot of listeners down under, and New Zealand oral histories are coming online. There's a new web archive of oral histories of New Zealand nurses that's now available. The website says that their aim is to capture this rich history and create a resource that nurses, students, academics, and family members can access in order to gain a better understanding of nursing history in New Zealand. The site contains a large collection of oral histories, including abstracts, recordings, photos, and other information. You are one lucky genealogist if your ancestor was a nurse in New Zealand from the 1950s and 60s. These are nurses who trained during the 1950s and 1960s, and the records capture the everyday elements of nursing practice along with some of the more unusual There's also a section on hospitals and one on nursing uniforms. So you'll find that at nursinghistory.org.nz. And actually, it's nice to see so many records coming online for women. Here's another collection from Find My Past. They posted over 9,500 UK records that illustrate the various roles played by women during the First World War. So these include the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps service records from 1917 to 1920. Relatively small, but very rich resource of material on each of the women listed there. British Women's Royal Navy Service officer files from 1917 to 1919 details the service history of women who served as officers in the Women's Royal Navy during the First World War. And of course, we are 100 years out now from the beginning of the First World War. 
Uh, The British Women's Royal Navy Service Ratings Service registers from 1918 and 1917. There's uh, nearly 7,000 enlisted women listed there. And the British Women's Royal Air Force Service records from 1918 to 1920. It's an index of 31,000 Women's Royal Air Force Service records held by the National Archives. So that's just a smattering of the new records, the improved records that are coming online. There are loads more. And again, keep your eye on the Genealogy Gems news blog every Friday, and you will get all of them. We have more information there for Polish-American marriages, Irish BMD, Canadian travel photography, Scottish artifacts and documents, Louisiana press coverage, all of the good stuff that you want to find. So uh, for these smaller record groups, and of course, it's going to include some of the bigger ones as well, go to genealogygems.com and scroll down a little bit underneath the welcome video on the left hand bottom left hand side says select content by topic. So click that down arrow and uh, scroll down to it's called records and databases. Click that and you're going to have all those posts um, in consecutive order, starting with the most recent right there on your computer screen to uh, run through. All right, well, coming up next, we are going to hear from you and we will do that at the mailbox. From my old hometown One with some jokes From my old pal Jim Brown Bring me a letter From that girl of mine Saying that he's longing for me All the time Bring me a letter From my proud old dad that we are winning, and I bet he's glad, but more than any other, a line from my old mother. Bring me a letter from my hometown. for one email here, and this comes to us from a longtime Genealogy Gems premium member, Catherine, and she wrote in with a um, very timely and newsworthy gem. She says, recent adoption records are being released in Ohio. Such an exciting time for those adoptees yearning to connect with their bloodlines. Before the bill took effect, they allowed birth mothers to redact their names. Out of 400,000, only around 110 took them up on that. There's also a preference form with the birth records where the mother can request not to be contacted. She says, I wonder how often that might not be respected. It's such an interesting situation for someone to be in. Well, this is terrific news. I appreciate you sharing it, Catherine. And if you are looking for adoption records in Ohio, Uh, you'll definitely want to head to the show notes. We've got a link to a local news story from Ohio that Catherine shared with us and also a link for more information. There's an adoption research page at the Family Search Wiki, and that gives a really good overview and some very helpful links in looking for adoption records. 
Well, speaking of adoption, my next guest is actually very focused on adoption. And we touched on that in a conversation uh, that we had both on the Family Tree Magazine podcast and coming up here on Genealogy Gems. And the conversation was with Cece Moore. And you probably know her as a DNA expert, but adoption is another area where she uses DNA to really solve uh, her clients' mysteries. And Cece Moore is coming up next. Our sponsor for this episode is MyHeritage. Now, I know that you tune in to the Genealogy Gems podcast because you know that I'm going to carefully vet the products that come across my desk. And I'm only going to bring to this show the ones that I really think are the real gems. Well, MyHeritage.com is in that category, and I couldn't be happier that they've signed on to support and sponsor this free podcast. I've spent the last several months really digging into MyHeritage, and I found some powerful tools that I think you really need in your genealogy tool belt. First of all, they have over 70 million members worldwide. If you're serious about making connections in the country where your ancestors once lived, hands down, MyHeritage is the place that you want to be. Get your tree posted on their website and start to see the magic as they automatically match it up with other trees, not just with genealogists in the country where you live, but genealogists around the world. Then there's MyHeritage's unique and powerful search system. It's called Record Matches. It constantly calls 5 billion historical records for your family. It's the only family history interface out there using semantic analysis to search newspaper articles, books, and other free text documents. It's also the first to translate names between languages. And I personally like that the matches from the historical newspaper collection at MyHeritage, they show up towards the top of the results list. So visit MyHeritage.com. It's free to get started, so there's really no reason to wait. And there are billions of reasons to try it out. Visit MyHeritage.com. The PBS television show Finding Your Roots features the use of DNA analysis prominently, and that's gone a long way in helping bring DNA into the consciousness of family historians across the country. And even though it can look a little bit quick and simple on TV, of course, a lot goes on behind the scenes to make it all happen. And in this segment, the series genetic genealogy consultant C.C. Moore is joining me to talk about the DNA work on the show and to share some insights that might just help you in your genealogy research. 
Cece is the co-founder of the Institute for Genetic Genealogy, an instructor for a number of courses and conferences around the U.S., and the author of the blog, Your Genetic Genealogist, and also Adoption and DNA. Welcome to the show, Cece. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You know, um, genealogy television programming has become quite popular with several of the shows that are on the air now. But really, I think Finding Your Roots was not only one of the earliest entries, but also it really pioneered the use of DNA in the search. How did you become involved in the show? I invited uh, Dr. Gates to speak at the DNA Day the first DNA day at Jamboree, Southern California Genealogical Society's Jamboree. And he agreed, kindly agreed, and he was our luncheon speaker. And afterwards, uh, Dr. Joanna Mountain from 23andMe told him he should stay and watch one of my speeches. And he did. It was sort of nerve-wracking up there giving it (laughs) and sitting in the back. (laughs) Yeah. As soon as I was done, somebody grabbed me and said he wanted to speak to me. And he offered me the job on the spot. He said that he had been looking for somebody to do specific genetic genealogy work on the show. And he thought that I would be perfect for that. And as it's turned out, it's, it's been actually uh, perfect for me. It fit a lot of my different experiences in the past, not just with genealogy, but script writing and things like that. So it was a big surprise, uh, not something I ever thought I would end up doing. In fact, season one, I had reviewed the DNA used in each of the episodes of Finding Your Roots. And when I was writing that, I never thought that I would actually be the one doing the work later. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that amazing? How fun. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different cases that you're working on. And I'm curious, do you rely heavily on one particular test when you work with the show? Or are you really tailoring the testing to specific genealogical questions? You know, it really depends. We make sure that we test all the guests at all three of the companies offering DNA testing to genealogy. We want to use every single resource and tool that we have at our disposal. And so we want to try fishing in all three of the ponds, uh, as we say, to try to find something interesting. And that also means looking at all three types of DNA. So oftentimes, I'm just trying to find anything of interest that we can use in the show. So I look at autosomal DNA, I look at Y-DNA, I look at MT-DNA, and I look at all three of the companies. Now, other times, we'll have a specific research question that comes up when the genealogy research team is looking at it. And they'll contact me. For instance, a typical one would be for an African-American guest. They'll identify a slave owner of one of uh, the guest's ancestors. And right away, we want to see if there could be a genetic relationship. So when we do that, uh, we'll often look at Y-DNA and autosomal DNA, depending on uh, who we have available to test. That's that's great. And it's it's helpful because I think um, many people think of DNA testing as kind of one test, and it's really not. And it's really married together with the question at hand. Now, before we dig a little more into that, I know you've got some great tips for our listeners. Um, give us a rundown. Who are these three testing companies, the main ones that you're working with? We work with Family Tree DNA, Ancestry DNA, and 23andMe. And we use the autosomal DNA testing for all three of those companies. And then on a case-by-case basis, I will add Y-DNA or a full mitochondrial DNA sequence from Family Tree DNA. 
Okay, great. Now, um, we know why DNA is the male line, mitochondrial is the female line. Um, autosomal is getting more on people's radar. Can you give us the, the elevator speech on what exactly does autosomal do? Sure. Autosomal DNA is inherited from all of our ancestral lines. So you carry little pieces or big pieces of DNA from all of your great-grandparents. And your great-grandparents inherited theirs from their great-grandparents. So we're made up of our ancestors going back in time. Now, as Bonnie Bettinger has written on his blog, The Genetic Genealogist, uh, we have a genealogical family tree and a genetic family tree. Our genealogical family tree includes all of our ancestors going back in time. But our genetic family tree is only a subset of those ancestors. So we have all of uh, our second great-grandparents autosomal DNA and probably all of our third. But when you start getting further back, some of those ancestors fall off your genetic family tree. So autosomal DNA is very, very good going back about six generations. But the one big misconception is that it can't work going further back than that. And I use it all the time for much more distant ancestor research. It's just that you can't disprove a theory if you're looking past second cousins, but you can uh, help support a theory using data from autosomal DNA further back. Oh, interesting. Okay, that that really helps define it better. Uh, Now, you obviously have seen a lot of different cases and scenarios. And I'd love to have you share some of the tips, things that you've picked up along the way and things that you think that people particularly new to DNA uh, need to keep in mind. Okay, well, one thing in particular is that autosomal DNA has really increased in popularity. And it's certainly my favorite type of DNA to use. But I don't want people to forget about Y DNA and mitochondrial DNA because it still comes in very useful. For me, very often I'll use it. And I'm not just looking at the direct lines of the person in question, meaning I'm not just looking at the guest father's 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 line on the Y DNA. Uh, for example, if there's a slave owner that we would like to see if they're actually a genetic ancestor of the guest, what I'll do is I'll try to find a son of that slave owner and then his son, his son, his son coming forward in time, so doing reverse genealogy or descendancy research to see if I can get a Y DNA test on that person. And then I'll try to trace the enslaved ancestor, if it's a male, of course, of the guest and then trace his line forward in time along his direct paternal line so his son, 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 and then compare that Y chromosome and see if it's matching. And I think a lot of people forget that they can still use Y DNA or MT DNA in the inner branches of their tree. They just can't use themselves as the tester. But if they use reverse genealogy and they're able to identify descendants on those lines, they can compare those. And it's a much more specific answer that you'll get. You may get an autosomal DNA match too, which is fantastic, and it helps to support the theory. But uh, you don't know for sure it's coming from that line. But with a Y-DNA test, you're looking at a very specific line. So as much as I love autosomal DNA, I don't want your listeners to forget that we still have these other types of tests that can be very valuable. And in many of my cases, I'm using more than one type of DNA. So I'm looking at autosomal DNA in conjunction with Y DNA or mitochondrial DNA. And I use the X chromosome all the time in the cases as well. So I think people um, sometimes think of these tests in independently 
of each other rather than that you can use them in conjunction with each other. That is so well said. And it's such an important concept, I think, for the listeners, um, anybody interested in using DNA for genealogy. And you, you've actually packed a couple of really important ideas in there, not only the fact that we can um, use them in conjunction, but to not forget that the genealogy research goes hand in hand with the DNA. I think oftentimes people will run the test and they think that the results stand alone and tell them something. And you've really described a whole process of you are working in particularly reverse genealogy right alongside, you know, bringing in the results and having it all kind of come together in one big picture. Yes, and it's so exciting when that happens. When you can use the traditional paper records in conjunction with the DNA results, and you're able to come to a solid conclusion, it's just amazing. I mean, talk about genealogy happy dances. I've been dancing around my my office (laughs) fairly frequently. (laughs) Of course, that's not to say it's not frustrating sometimes either, but when you use all the resources at your disposal, all the tools, all the databases, the different types of DNA testing, you know, very often you can come to an answer, a conclusion. Now, we don't always have time on the show to do what I would like to do. In fact, oftentimes we don't, uh, because sometimes the research team will come up with something at the last minute. You know, they keep researching right down to the end, right before the interview, and then there isn't time to get a DNA test done. So what we've tried to do is we've still gone forward and taken those tests and we have a episode number 10, the last one for the season that's focused on DNA. And so that's our, our new, uh, Dr. Gates says we're going to do that every season now where the last episode will pick up some of those, uh, DNA stories that didn't make it into the episode that the guest is in originally. So uh, I'm really excited about that because a lot of my favorite work ends up on the cutting room floor. And that's just the way it goes with TV. You know, they do, we all do hundreds of hours or even thousands of hours of research for one episode. And we've got three guests on there and they each had about a three hour sit down interview where they learned about their family history and their DNA. So obviously the majority of what they learn and what we've researched doesn't make it into the show. So I love seeing some of those bits and pieces are going to be resurrected for this final episode. And that's why I love having you here on the podcast, because you're really helping remind people about that. And it gives us a picture that if we want to try to explore our family tree the way it's done on the show, that we have to remember it's not just the quick 10 minutes, it's really just all these different layers. And there's a lot of time investment, but with such a huge payoff. And it's not just time. In some cases, it's money, because sometimes it means testing (laughs) more people. You know, I always try to get as many family members tested of the guests as possible. In fact, uh, I've had them add that to the initial questionnaire is who in the family is, you know, alive. Are the parents alive and or aunts or uncles, grandparents, and are they willing to test? Because it helps me so much to have more data. You know, the more data I have, the better. The more people who test, the more interesting things I'm able to bring out from the DNA data. So as much as, you know, it's, It's difficult for all of us to spend this money. I do want to encourage people to test their family members, particularly the older generation. If they're still living, we want to get those people tested because there's times where there's no way I could have done what I did with just the one person, the guest's DNA. And having their parents test is, you know, so helpful. 
That's good to know, too, because, again, we think of ourselves, but we don't think of it as kind of a group project. And it sounds like that's what you, that's how you go about um, with the success in those projects that you do for the show. You know, you mentioned the autosomal and, of course, that we want to bring in mitochondrial and Y-DNA as well. Autosomal is certainly the big hot topic everybody's been kind of focused on this year. I couldn't let you go without asking you, you know, where do you see genetic genealogy in five years? I mean, we didn't envision autosomal necessarily just a few years ago, and, and now it's here. Where do you think things are going? You know, it's hard to imagine just because I don't think any of us could have imagined that we would be doing what we're doing now because we were told early on that autosomal DNA just wouldn't work for genealogy. And it's ended up being incredible what it has taught us and what we've been able to discover. So on one hand, I think it's hard to say, but I can certainly make some guesses. Uh, When we had the smaller databases, we weren't making nearly as many discoveries as we are now that we have about in autosomal DNA databases, we've probably got almost 1.5 million now across wow. the three companies. And for, I think, a good um, measure of what's going on is adoption cases. We are seeing adoption cases solved every single day from DNA testing now. And just a couple of years ago, even one year ago, we were still really working hard developing the methodology for these cases and, you know, trying to help these people learn about their family history. And I just kept saying, wait, you know, the databases get bigger, it's going to be so much easier. But even I couldn't have imagined just how many successes we would be having this soon. So in five years, when we have millions of people tested, you know, not one million or two million, but 10 million or maybe more than that. It's just going to be so amazing for all of us with our genealogical brick walls. They'll become crashing down. People with unknown parentage, I think the majority of them will be able to learn about their biological families. I think we'll be doing some very interesting research with um, traits of our ancestors. I'm already, because I have tested a lot of uh, relatives and mapped my chromosomes, I can already trace where I inherited certain traits from. And I think, you know, they're learning new things about our genetics every day. And so the more that they learn and identify that is connected to specific genes, when we've mapped our chromosomes to our ancestors, we'll be able to say, oh, I inherited that from, you know, great-great-grandma Travis. Or, hey, you know, I'm like, like, for instance, musical talent. My musical talent comes from, you know, this line of my tree. Or there's three different genes that come into this. And I got them from this person, this person, and that person. And Dr. Mark Shriver from Penn State is doing some amazing research on facial traits based on our genes. And so I really believe that we're going to be able to get glimpses of what our ancestors looked like, you know, the ones that we've never been able to find pictures for, or perhaps they're too far back. We'll start being able to say, hey, they had like the easy things like blue eyes and red hair And then even maybe, you know, the shape of their face. I think those types of things are going to really enhance our genealogical research. And we'll be able to learn so many things about our ancestors that we've always wanted to know. And there was just no way for us to learn them. So I think it's going to be so incredibly exciting. I mean, I could go on and on. I think ancestor (laughs) reconstruction will be reconstructing the genome, at least partially, of some of our ancestors. Right now, we always say one of the big misconceptions is people think that they're going to take a DNA test and it's going to fill in their family tree, and we laugh about it. But I think in five years, 
there is potential for that, at least, you know, somewhat. I think we'll, even in a year or two, some people will be able to test and will be able to say, oh, you're descended from this ancestral couple. And so we might be yeah. able to give people pieces of their family tree. We already do that with adoptees now, where we can tell them some of their ancestors. We just don't know where they fit in the tree. So I think it's, as you can tell, I'm breathless talking about it because I think <laughs> it's just incredibly exciting what well, we're going it to is. be doing. You know, my daughter's involved in uh, forensic anthropology and, you know, the, what the way in which they're using uh, DNA just a couple of years ago, you know, if you didn't have a witness, you didn't know what a person looked like in a criminal case. And now DNA can say, well, we're looking for somebody with, you know, this type of hair and blue eyes and whatever. So you can, like you say, I never thought about that being applied to being able to visualize potentially ancestors. But I think that's so exciting. Isn't that incredible? I mean, one of my favorite things, especially before I really got into DNA part of genealogy, was collecting family photos. I didn't have very many from my own family, my personal uh, collection. And so I really amassed a fairly good collection by reaching out to cousins and aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles. And there's some that I just don't have pictures of, you know, and it's so frustrating. But I really hope that, you know, we'll be able to start to piece back together what they looked like. And when I was in New York at the World Science Festival, Dr. Mark Shriver, who I mentioned from Penn State, was um, doing these 3D facial imaging. He was having people take a DNA test, and then he was uh, doing those 3D images for his research project. So he's really moving in that direction. And I know Mm -hmm. he's helping law enforcement, just like you mentioned um, in regard to your daughter. So it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're moving in some pretty exciting directions. And right now we work so hard just to dig up some, you know, a few little things. And I think in the future, it's, it'll become easier on one hand, we'll have a lot more to work with, but it'll also be overwhelming. I think it'll be hard to know where to focus because there'll be so many different avenues that we can take for discovery. Well, I think one of the best things about it is that um, genealogy can never be finite in that there's there's always something exciting around the corner, which makes it the perfect lifetime pursuit. I mean, what could be better? And real quick, did you have a favorite um, story or celebrity that you did some research on on the show that you just went, wow, that just knocked my socks off? You know, I have so many, and unfortunately, most of my favorite ones didn't make it in the show. And I think that's partly because they're more in-depth. It takes more time to explain them. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is uh, Ben Jealous and his mtDNA. And I actually uh, put out a clip. The production allowed me to have the raw footage. And because we have a production company here, that was what I did before genealogy was production mm-hmm. company. So we edited together the clip and I put it up on the blog that I've been writing for PBS every week on the Finding Your Roots website. It was, I think, two weeks ago. But that was amazing because we were able to tie him through his mitochondrial DNA mutations to a specific origin in Africa. And it was a unique origin. It was Madagascar. So he has two unique mutations in his mtDNA that place his direct maternal line, his mother's mother's mother, back in Madagascar. And we know there was only 17 slave ships who came from Madagascar. So we know that his direct maternal enslaved ancestor was on one of those 17 ships, most likely. I mean, highly likely. So we were able Mm -hmm. to take the historical evidence 
and his mtDNA and put those two things together to create a, a rich story. Even though we don't know her name, we've been able to tell him specifically where one of his lines goes back to in Africa, which is often very meaningful for an African-American. So I loved that one. And then um, Tom Colicchio was one that was amazing because he had a big brick wall, a big hole in his family tree, not very far back, that the traditional researchers weren't able to break down. And I used mtDNA, autosomal DNA, and xDNA to be able to break through that brick wall and add four previously unknown second great-grandparents and then extend some of those lines back into Italy. So talk about happy dances. I was so excited. But because these get more in-depth, it's hard for them to get in the show. I mean, I can do almost a full-hour presentation on that one case study, which I'm starting to do at least part of an hour on it, because we really looked at, I looked at, newspaper articles for hints about that family. Uh Uh, It really took detective work. And we got lucky and we got a predicted second to third cousin match who had a huge match on the X chromosome. So that helped us narrow it down. And then I had a a name that was similar between their tree and his tree living six miles apart. We couldn't find any records to back up the connection because this, uh, his great grandmother was born in 1883 and she married in 1897, very young. And so she wasn't in the 1880 census with her family and she wasn't in the 1900 census with her parents and siblings. So it was just an amazing, um, journey of putting little pieces together and testing out different theories. And I, I absolutely loved that one, but for them to put it in a show, it would have taken up a pretty big chunk of it. So yeah. it didn't make it in. Well, it sounds like they need a web series, <laughs> you know, where you could say, here's the one we picked. It's going to be an hour on the web and go watch it. I mean, that would be tremendous. Yeah, I wish I could get all the rough footage and do it. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm happy I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I'm on the series that I'm writing. I am trying to go back over some of those stories that got cut out and explain the DNA work. And then sometimes it will make it in, but it's such a uh, abbreviated, simplified version of mm-hmm. what, that, what we did that I try to go in and explain the background of that because there is so much that goes on. And, you know, for TV, you just want it to be interesting and fun. And most of the audience doesn't want to hear all the things that us diehard genealogists want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, thank you so much for giving us what we wanted to hear, which is just some of that great background and some of the really usable ideas and tips that you've incorporated yourself that we can start to look to in our own genealogy research. Cece Moore, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And good luck to everybody.
You know, I always advise people to keep their master family trees at home on their own computers, not online. The family tree software I recommend is Roots Magic, and I'm pleased to announce that Roots Magic 7 is out and it's better than ever. Now, what do I love most about this new update? It's got to be the automatic hinting feature. It's like Google Alerts for genealogy websites. RootsMagic now automatically searches sites like FamilySearch and MyHeritage for possible matches to your tree. You're going to see light bulb hints appear whenever a match is found. Clicking the light bulb will open a web browser with matching records. They've got new accounts that let you easily publish and maintain multiple trees online, whether publicly or privately. And data management is easy with the new data clean feature that helps you quickly find and fix possible problems with names and places. Or use the file compare feature to look at two different trees side by side and transfer information between them. These are just some of the dozens of new enhancements. You can give it a try right away with no risk with the free edition called Roots Magic 7 Essentials. So what are you waiting for? Go to rootsmagic.com. You'll see pretty quickly why professionals and beginners alike choose Roots Magic. second quarter of 2015 and that means it's time to announce our new book for the genealogy gems book club so i want to welcome our resident book club guru sunny morton back to tell us all about it hi sunny hello lisa i'm glad to be back and talk about books again well we've just wrapped up uh orphan train which has been i i've just have heard so many wonderful things are you getting responses from our listeners <sighs> You know, I have. I've gotten some really great responses from somebody on Facebook said I was really resentful that I actually had to close the book and get some (laughs) sleep. And then, you know, I got this great email from Karen uh, from the genealogy point of view. And she said, I just finished Orphan Train and I thought it was very good. It's hard to believe that children were treated like that. I've often thought while doing my own genealogy research that it's amazing. Any of us are here at all. given the difficult lives many of our ancestors lived. And boy, when I think back over some of the the trials I've uncovered in their lives, that's really true. I haven't found an orphan train rider, but there's a lot of hardship back there. Absolutely. It is amazing that we all get here when you consider all the hardships, but um, thank goodness we do. And I just think Orphan Train was a wonderful selection. And I know that you have another wonderful selection for us this quarter. I actually do. And this kind of is a horse of a different color here. And I'm very excited to announce our next Genealogy Gems book club for quarter two. Do you have a drum roll? We need a drum roll. Absolutely. Here we go. Our next book is The Lost Ancestor, the most recent book in a mystery series by British author Nathan Dylan Goodwin. And this one, I noticed the subtitle, A Genealogical Crime Mystery. You gotta love it that. Is, it's the this best is a book. This is a book written for genealogists, I have <laughs> to say. Anybody can enjoy it, but we definitely will. So let me tell you a little about it. In The Lost Ancestor, we meet the hero of the mystery series, Morton Farrier. 
He's a forensic genealogist, and that's why we get that subtitle. And his cases, you know, the ones that they don't write about in the series are supposedly quite tame, usually. But occasionally, he takes on a job that leads him into the dark and dangerous corners of the past and the present. So he reminds me a little bit of that famous fictional British detective Sid Halley in the Dick Francis novels, because Morton takes at least a punch or a bullet and threats to his personal life in just about every episode. So fortunately, his girlfriend is a police officer in training, so she's not easily phased by his occupational hazards. But he is the most exciting genealogist you'll ever read about, I think. I have to agree. And, you know, it's funny because I was thinking, Oh, how convenient to be married, you know, not married. I have to smack him upside the head because I've already read this book and he did, you know, they're not married. And, and that's one of the <laughs> she big, wants to be. <laughs> she does want to be. And that's one of the big, I hope one of these days we'll get to read about their wedding because I yes. really like her. She's I a know. great character. She is. And the thing is, I guess it's not that surprising because don't you find that uh, we, as genealogists, we do gravitate towards people who maybe they're not into genealogy, but they do love a good puzzle or, you know, that type of thing. And, and she's a good fit for him. She is a good fit, and she also is a good fit for helping him figure out the mysteries. She knows the laws. She knows the criminal scene, and it's really helpful to have that voice and that insight from her, and she's just fun. You know, I picture her as this little spitfire that (laughs) you just want to have a good time with. Exactly. So, Okay, so on to the, the mystery in this particular book, The Lost Ancestor. Morton is hired to find out what happened to his client's great aunt Mary, who disappeared without a trace about a century ago. So that's that's kind of a tame enough premise, right? But then we get to the historical setting of her life story. She is a maid on a grand English estate where she's been thinking above her status. <laughs> so this is a drama that will <laughs> definitely speak to Downton Abbey, Abbey lovers, for sure. It's sort of, what do they call that, behind the stairs sort of drama? Mm-hmm. So she has proximity to this grand family that has, that gives her proximity to money and power, which definitely have an influence on how Mary's story unfolds. So we follow both stories. We follow what Morton is learning, and then we, learn, we also follow for a while um, how Mary's story is going. But we follow Morton to his favorite research libraries. Um, his favorite, at his favorite library, he scuffles with his nemesis, a grumpy librarian. I had a feeling that maybe there was a backstory there that happened in the first book. What do you think? Um, yeah, well, you need to keep reading the other ones, I guess. Yeah, so, I yes, think so. there's more to that tale. But, you know, it, I think it's funny that he has a nemesis at a library and he's mm-hmm. got a favorite library because I think we have our, all have our favorite haunts. But I have to say I'm jealous of his research budget, right? He just orders vital records by express mail whenever he yeah. wants to. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really, he, he's really lucky that way. So maybe we don't envy him his lumps and bumps, though, and the risks he takes. But these are fun to read about. So The Lost Ancestor has a definitely a different feel than our previous two books, don't you think, Lisa? Oh, very much so. I mean, this one really speaks to us specifically as a genealogist. In fact, I found myself um, torn between, I don't want to put the de- book down, and I want to put the book down, and I want to go do my genealogy, you know, because it, it really <laughs> yeah, inspires it, it you. Has that, that it's sort of inspiring. It just makes me want to do dig into my own archive. Exactly. With my own grumpy librarian. Particularly the so, more he talks about uh, handling the original records and that type of thing. So I, mm-hmm. I think from a genealogical standpoint, this is going to be a much more uh, direct, you know, application 
to what all of us do on a regular basis. And I think that's what makes this just so universally um, delectable for all everybody to read. I agree. It is a little bit different change of pace in terms of the type of book it is. Our last two were bestsellers that were a little more literary, and this one is genre mystery. So it's a different change of, you know, I I hope you find it as a welcome change of pace. Um, I think it's a great choice for both men and women readers. Uh Uh-huh, I do. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great holiday read or like a weekend read or, you know, late at night or just looking for something, a great escape. Well, and we're heading into that busy genealogy season. You know, there's a lot of uh, conferences coming up and people are knee deep in school wrapping up. And so this one is going to be, I think, easier to kind of pick up, put down, although you're not going to want to put it down. Um, (laughs) But it's it is a, uh, a quick and fun read, I think, which will fit right into this busy time of year. Absolutely. So let us know. I want to hear from everybody on Facebook or by email or however you reach us. Let us know what you think of The Lost Ancestor. Oh, you're going to love it. It's The Lost Ancestor, a genealogical crime mystery about Morton Ferrier, the forensic genealogist, and it's written by Nathan Dylan Goodwin. A fabulous read. I I can't believe how quickly I got through it. And uh, you're going to love it. And you are going to be inspired. I literally found myself um, taking one of the record sets that he was talking about and jumping online and using him because they had an application to something I've been working on. So that was just really cool to have it really uh, be kind of a real world application. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. And we're going to have uh, Nathan on the show. Are we not, Sunny? We are. I've gotten to talk with him already. And it was a fun interview. So look forward to that two months from now. We'll have him on the show. So you've got a little time to read it. Get started. All right. Get started. And uh, Sunny, we will talk to you next month to talk about some of our thoughts partway through the book. Okay. We will do that. so much for joining me for Genealogy Gems podcast episode number 178. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Cece Moore and about our new book in the Genealogy Gems book club. I love it. You're going to love it. I don't always have a lot of time to read. (laughs) Can you believe it? Um, But this one, I couldn't put it down. So I finished it very quickly just in the weekend. And it was really excellent. So you definitely want to check that out. And of course, uh, if you decide to pick up a copy, you know, you can certainly grab a copy at your local library. If you decide to get an ebook or a paperback book or whatever, if you use the link on our website, you do something really nice. You help support this free podcast and make it possible. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a little bit of credit when you use our link over to Amazon. And that's both for digital and for paper versions. And I wanted to mention to you uh, that we've had so much new content coming out online. Have you noticed? We've been busy. <laughs> and uh, it's going to get busier because I'm going to head out on the road. I'm heading to Providence, Rhode Island uh, to speak at the NERC conference and also going to stop by the Cape Cod Genealogical Society to talk to them. They sound like a really nice group. I'm looking forward to that. And then I'm going to turn right around. Bill's coming with me to uh, those events. And then Lacey, my daughter Lacey, is going to switch places with uh, her dad. And she is flying up to Anchorage, Alaska with me to do a full day seminar. So that'll keep us busy here in April. But leading up to April, 
some other things have kept me kind of busy. I've gotten several new videos out on the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. Have you been there yet? <laughs> you got to check it out. We are doing some fun stuff and we are committed to ongoing new video. That is one of my big goals this year for 2015 and into the future. That is where the future lies online. It's mobile and it's video. And those two things are really cooking and we are cooking over at the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com slash genealogy gems and it's spelled out y-o-u-t-u-b-e dot com slash genealogy gems you can also get there by hovering your mouse over video in our menu and clicking on the youtube channel links follow the links to get you over there when you get there you're going to find um, a new video series i've started on using evernote for genealogy this is just kind of a mini series overview we certainly in as part of the uh, website premium membership uh, you premium members, you know that there's over five, I think, full length classes that are on video, as well as a little get started mini series. The, the series over at YouTube is just kind of a good overview. And it also is going to offer me an opportunity to answer in kind of a timely way some of the ongoing questions that I get from all of you. So check those out. We have um, a video that explains what in the world Evernote is and why in the world you would want to use it. I think there might be some of you who could use that. And then we have another one that just answers some of the common questions that I've been getting on Evernote. And there are more videos to come. Those are really going to prepare you to take advantage of the more in-depth classes and training and information that we have for you as part of Genealogy Gems premium website membership. And let's see, we're going to be doing a Google series. Don't tell anybody. We're going to do a Google series I'm excited about, too. I've already started filming some of those. And um, let's see what else is. Oh, well, we had um, several different videos come, that have come out from Roots Tech. I recorded several videos over at Roots Tech. We had two with Your DNA Guide, Diane Southard, which are great. Wow. She gave one was a wonderful overview of kind of DNA. And then another one was also about the common misconceptions kind of clearing the air a little bit about how all this DNA stuff works, what's true, what's not, and how to make the most of it for genealogy. Then I also got a chance to sit down with Hudson Gunn uh, from Billion Graves. He shared with us some of the new things that are coming out with Billion Graves. And I also got a chance to sit down and chat with Mary Tedesco from Genealogy Roadshow. Oh, she was lots of fun. We have gabbed on the phone a ton and on email, and it was really great to get in person. It was kind of hard to stop talking. So uh, look for those. And I, I think there's one or two more in the queue. Do I sound disorganized? I got to go look. I think there is. <laughs> but there are lots of videos overall in the queue. We are having a fantastic time. We have new cameras that give us better quality um, visuals and sound. So I think you're going to like it. And while you're there, the easiest way to stay in touch with us through YouTube and the new videos that are coming out is to subscribe to the channel. And you know what's really great about this is when you click the subscribe button, you know, YouTube is just connected to your Google account. If you have a free Google account or Gmail account, you can sign into YouTube with that account. Then you can subscribe to us and that's going to automatically notify you through your account 
that, hey, Genealogy Gems has new videos and you won't have to go looking for them or if you miss a newsletter or whatever, you'll know that a video is there and waiting for you. But also, we've learned a lot about kind of the the back end of things through YouTube and Google. And the more subscribers that we get to our YouTube channel, the more goodies they make available to us to work with. And I won't go into all the details because it's all the the techie end stuff, but there are some really neat features and kind of the more people you have watching your channel and following you, the more they make these available to us to use to make our channel better. And so that's exciting to me. And I am bound and determined to make it the best darn genealogy YouTube channel out there. So you can help me do that. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and going over and clicking the subscribe button, Yay. Yay for you. You're going to help us a lot to get some great tools from YouTube to uh, make it even better. So I could go on and on, but I have a trip to pack for and a plane to catch. And I know you have ancestors to go find. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.